0: So good to see you. I'm always joyed, overjoyed to be here with you. My name's Don, and uh, today we are going to continue in this series, and I'm just gonna just gonna invite you. I don't know. She mentioned on the on the video if you haven't picked up a, a journal to do so, um, because every every Sunday, what somebody asked me last Sunday, how'd you pick that message? Well, it's it's in the journal. So if you have the journal. So, so we, uh, we really, sh- I, sh- I just shamed them for it. Where's your journal? What's the matter with you? So don't bring that up if you haven't. But join in, because through the week there's some great questions that help you stay along with it, and, and if, you're, if you are following along, we're in week seven, page 50, and I'm um, just going to share a little bit from that verse of scripture today, and then we're going to have communion, the Lord's Supper, and uh, that's always a special time. And it's a time when, when I'm just praying that, that you'll experience really the, the presence of Jesus. And so I'd like you just to bow your head with me as we begin and, and uh, let's just ask God to send the presence of Christ in here. I'm sure he's here already. Let's ask him that he makes himself known. Lord today, I just pray that my words don't get in the way. This scripture is, uh, is so beautiful it's illuminating to our lives, pray that it'll even just speak for itself, that you'll speak through it. But God, in a way that I can't even, I don't even know how to ask, I I pray that when we break the bread and take from the cup here in a little bit, that that Jesus will just be so real in our midst that, that every person here will know him and feel him and just respond accordingly to him. We we can't believe how much you love us, and it just feels good to be in your house. So we pray all these things in your name, amen. So here's, if nothing else, because I know about 10 o'clock some of you are going to be tuning into the football game. If if nothing else, I want you to get this. God, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. Doesn't matter even what your past is. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are now. Doesn't matter what you've been through. He he has a plan for you. Right after World War II, there was a submarine that was coming back to port to uh, the harbor in uh, Newport News, Virginia. And uh, this submarine had been through the war, it's survived all the battles and everything that it needed to survive. And as it pulled into this harbor, it sunk to the bottom in, this, in the safety harbor in Virginia. Well, immediately the Coast Guard sent divers out to try to assess the damage, find, figure out what's going on, and try to recognize what they need to do to salvage the lives that are there. And as the divers were swimming around the submarine, It was a very distinctive Morse code tapping coming on the side of the the submarine that just continued to tap and it was asking this question, is there hope? Is there hope? Is there hope? And I can't help but think of that, that story of these sailors down probably in the dark, the bottom of the ocean in the harbor, wondering what's going on, wondering what their future is, if there is a future. And just tapping out, is there hope? I don't know about you, but it seems to me that we're in a time in our life, in our nation, maybe, I guess, probably in the whole world, where that question just becomes very, very pertinent. That there's this this wondering about what's going on, and God, where are you, and what are you doing, and... Why am I going through this? Why are we going through this? Maybe even as a church, you're asking that question. As you go through this transition time, you're probably asking two questions. How come we have him up here again? And when do we get somebody that's a little bit younger? You're not going to get anybody better looking, but maybe a little bit younger. Where are you? God, what's going on? Is there hope? Is there hope? The scripture that we're... Dealing with today deals with that. It's in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. You know it, probably. If you've been in church at all, you know it. You may have a coffee cup with this or a T-shirt. Some of you may even have it tattooed somewhere. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That right there ought to just make you go, ah, okay. I know, the Lord says, I know the plans for you and I have them. They're not for your calamity, they're for your welfare. They're not to harm you, they're for your good. Doesn't matter your circumstances now, you have a future, you have a tomorrow, you have a hope. Is there hope? God would say, yeah, absolutely. To give you a little context of where we are in Jeremiah, if you remember, this whole section is called the exile. That means the, the Jews, the kingdom of, of Israel has split in two, and the northern kingdom has been decimated, the southern kingdom had a guy named Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon come and take as many people as they could of the Israelites, the Jews, into Babylon and and hold them into captivity. So it's called the exile. It's called the Babylonian captivity. It's what all these, these minor prophets and major prophets are dealing with during this time. And they are there not knowing when they're going to get to come home, what the future is, and they're probably tapping out even though Morse code's not available in those days. is their hope. Verse 4 of that 29th chapter is an interesting verse. We have a tendency just to ride right over. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what the Lord says to all those in captivity, but here's the caveat that I carried into exile. I mean, every time we talk about the exile, we talk about Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the bad guys come in and take, and all of a sudden, here's God saying, uh, I did that. I carried them into exile. I took them from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, Jerusalem, as you know, back in, in, the, in, the, in the day of David and Solomon, they had this huge temple that they built, and they believed God resided in that temple. There was a holy of holies that he lived behind and you couldn't even go back there. If you went back there, a priest would go back there every now and again, they would tie a rope around his, his leg because if, if God didn't think things were shaping up with him like the, it, he would be zapped and they'd have to pull him out without anybody. it, it was where God lived. And now God takes them from this place. The problem was even though they recognized and they worshiped God in the temple, the crazy thing was they started to drift more and more away from God. Maybe they showed up on Sabbath to, to recognize that there was a God, but because of all these influences coming around from all over the world, they started to chase after other gods. They started to drift into worshiping idols and to bringing idols into their life. And before long, they were starting to fall apart and separate from the very presence of God that they, that they cherished so much. And it's like God saying, okay, you want to see what it's like to drift? Let me just take you to the end. Let me take you to Babylon. Babylon is, is where you don't want to be if you're a believer in God. We get introduced to Babylon in Genesis when there's this thing called the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? If you don't, you need to read it. I'm not going to tell you about it. The Tower of Babel, it goes all the way through the Old Testament. There's not mentioned much in the New Testament until you come to Revelation, and then it's mentioned again in the book of Revelation. Everywhere that you see Babylon, it always points to this, this pagan nation that's evil, that's idolatrous, and the antithesis of God. Whatever God wants, they're doing the opposite. Whatever God's people are trying to accomplish, they're trying to halt it. Whatever, whatever worship we would give to God, they have an alternative with their culture of idols and other gods and God says you want to drift from me let me just tell you what it's like to try to serve me in a culture where it's completely pagan and anti-God. Now the interesting thing that happens, the the little thread of of hope that comes in and one of the greatest truths are they thought in Jerusalem that they had to go to the temple to be with God. God was there waiting for them, and they had to go. But now all of a sudden they start to learn that even in the farthest away land, God follows them. They start to understand what this relentless love of God is all about. That God, even though he takes them in through some hardships and through exile, he doesn't leave them. And they're gonna find him in the circumstances that are so dark and so desperate and so so much full of despair and lack of hope. And God says, I I brought you there for a a reason, a reason that maybe in this darker time of your life, you're gonna actually learn some things that you never learned at any other time. I, I love this in that, I don't know about you, I, I've been in dark times. I, and this, this verse is a, a bright light of hope and future and faith. It's, this, it's a spotlight, but it's not like it's this bright light in a bright chapter of hope. This is a dark chapter. It's dark. It's desperate. It's desperate. And not only is it a dark chapter with a bright verse, it's a dark chapter in a dark book. Jeremiah is heavy. It's dark. It, Like if you're feeling a little down and discouraged, don't start reading Jeremiah for your devotions. You're going you're to want to just go jump off a bridge somewhere. I mean, it's just dark, it's dreary, it's discouraging. But what it reminds me is no matter how dark it might get in my life or your life, no matter what this chapter may look like, or you may say, chapter, nothing. You can go back, and this whole book is full of darkness in my life. Doesn't matter where we're at. Doesn't matter what we've been through. Doesn't matter what, what the situation looks like. This bright light of hope shines through. Dark time when man, I look around, and I see individuals that are just, the, just, falling apart i see families that are in, in despair and fraying and fracturing churches going through tough times conflict and confusion sometimes our nation i mean what a, what a political mess we are in as a nation and this pandemic that just doesn't seem to let go and it just keeps cropping up and all the the junk going around about that and it's like Is there hope? Is there hope? Well, I don't know if I've mentioned it yet, but God declares, I know the plans for you. Even in confusion, even in dark times, I know the plans when you're going, I'm glad someone knows, because I sure don't know. I don't know what's going on here. And God says, that's okay. You just trust me. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Just trust me. Here's what I found out in my life. I didn't come to this conclusion easily and overnight. Some of the greatest lessons that we learn in life are in the dark times. Some of the greatest lessons we learn in life are in the dark times. There's probably top three things that we need to, to know and understand as believers in God, as followers of Jesus. I mean, the number one thing that we need to understand is definitely that we come to Jesus by faith. You know, we, he saves us of our sins. He, he buys a place in eternity for us. He, he makes a difference in our life. That's all grace through faith. That's probably easily the number one thing that we need to know. I think a second, at least second or third somewhere in there, is this whole thing of the sovereignty of God. That when God says, I know the plans I have for you, that not only does he know the plans he has for us, he has the plans he knows of us. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's trustworthy. It doesn't matter how dark it might be. He still has a future and a hope for us. It doesn't matter what our past was. Israel's past was not good, but he still has a future and a hope for them and for us. It's the most difficult thing, but if you can turn it, it makes such a huge difference in our life because if we start with life and we try to let our interpretation of life determine our God, we get very confused we'll get discouraged we'll get stuck we'll get angry we'll get bitter but if we start with our god and let god interpret life all of a sudden even when we don't see the end we can trust because we recognize that there's a god who's in control and who loves us and who knows something even though we don't know it. You may not be able to get to the full extent of the sovereignty of God. I'm not sure I'm even there. I don't know that if how everything can be controlled by him. I, I, I've just come to this conclusion. He knows more than me. And he probably knows more than you. And that's good enough for me to trust. He knows more. Uh, one of the prophets in the Bible says, you could, you could take the world, God holds the world in the span of his hand. Now, the span is your little pinky to your thumb. It's an anthropomorphic term, it's not something that, you know, take literally, but just get a glimpse of how big God is. He holds creation in the span of his hand, one hand. Not two hands, not propping a hand up, not bracing himself, in one hand. That's how big he is. He's bigger than creation. And as we read through the New Testament, Jesus tells us, not only is he that big and that capable, even when a sparrow falls, he takes notice. He takes notice of your life. He takes notice of what you're going through. He knows and understands where you're at, and oh yeah, he knows the plan for you. Not for calamity, not for heartache, not for bad, but for good, to prosper you, to give you a tomorrow. What's hope all about? Hope is, is when, you, when you can look to the future with anticipation. Hope hope does not describe the circumstance you're in. Hope does not describe where you've come from and where you've been. Hope describes where you're going and what you have in front of you. Hope gives us this joyful anticipation that no matter what it's like today, it's going to be different tomorrow. And God says, you can have that hope because I have a plan." And even in the darkness, even in the confusion, even in, in our ignorance, don't walk away, don't give up, hang in there because it's good for you. And you're going, okay, all right, well, let's get to the plan. Come on, God. I, this is the one thing that um, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have an argument with God. God your timing stinks. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell him that. It, if you would have listened to me, I would give you much better advice on timing. I don't understand your timing. And he says, well, you don't understand my plan. Because my plan sometimes takes more time than you're ready for. In fact, when you, when you jump in, in front of a couple of verses in verse 14, he he, kinda, he just basically says, "Hey, I'm going to return you to your, your home. I'm taking you out of this exile. It's going to be over. So there's hope. The only question is when that happens. In fact, to add to the, the, the bad circumstances and the exile that they're feeling and the being in a pagan land, Jeremiah says, "The prophets, the preachers that you're listening to. They're lying to you. You can't trust them. They're leading you astray. And what they basically were saying is, hey, two more years and you're, you're out of here. We're, we're going back home two years. Just believe. Just have faith. Just pray. Just two more years. And Jeremiah is saying, they're lying to you. And when you are searching for hope, you'll hang on to anything. And sometimes we hang on to false hope of people that give us these pie-in-the-sky things of, you know, it's Just do this, just do this, just plug this in, just pray this way, and it's going to be all over. And We don't know God's timing. So what do we do from the point that we're here to when God's promises and future comes to fruition? In verse 5, he addresses that. He says, Okay, you're going to be here for a while. Basically, by saying this, you're going to be here for a while. And what we find out in hindsight, instead of being there for two years, like the the prophets were telling everybody, they're there for 70 years in exile. What do I do during that time? Verse 5 says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. God, we're in exile, it's dark, I don't like it. We're with those nasty old Babylonians, they don't even believe in you. Here, I wanna go home, I don't like, is there hope, am I ever gonna get out of here? Hey, slow down, slow down. Well, God, we look at our past, we remember when you took Israel out of Exodus, we brought Moses in, and we had the 10 plagues, and Charlton Heston came in, and we just, do it again, God, guys, wait, 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 this is different. Here's what I want you to do. Build your houses, plant your gardens, multiply, increase, reproduce, bless, pray for them, seek peace among them. Because as they prosper, you will prosper. Amazing. It's a it's a new thought that starts to come to God's people that is not usually been produced. In fact, this may be the first time. There's a there's an, an old uh, Saint Augustine um, lived in the early 400s. I've always called him Saint Augustine until I went to seminary and they said it's Saint Augustine. So uh, the educated side of me says there's Saint Augustine, and the guy who has a sister in Florida says it's Saint Augustine. So I don't know which one it is. You can whatever you want to, but he was a, he was a, a bishop, he was a, a preacher, a priest, a theologian, philosopher. In fact, some scholars say he had the sharpest mind since the Apostle Paul. And he has a concept that he, he delivers that talks about the city of God and the city of man, or today we would call it the earthly city, the city of humankind, city of God and city of man. And, and he says every city has both of those cities in, in it so that you know the, city, the earthly city, but the believers in God, the followers of Jesus, we, we have this different city. In fact, Jesus would say it's like a city that's, that's in the city, but it's up on the hill so that all the light shines, all my glory shines out to everybody that will see it. And people will be attracted to the light in the middle of all this other stuff in the city. The city of man, the city of... Of, of the earth is, is a place that just um, uses people, and it's all about self. It's, it's guided by money and sex and power, and it's used, money, sex, and power is used to exploit people and to bring self-gratification. It's all about self. That's the city of man. The city of God has the same ingredients. Money, sex, and power, still in the city of God. But it's used to upbuild people. It's used to make a difference. It's used to make light shine. It's used to, to, to encourage and to, and to transform people so that the glory of God might be shown and that the people of God might, might take on this, this distinctiveness of salt and light. It's a city that that, that shines the glory of God, like a city on the hill. And, and now God is telling his people, you're in this city of man. You're in Babylon. You're among all these pagans. You're among all this mess. But let me just tell you, build, plant, multiply, pray, seek the peace, seek the prosperity of this place. Because as it prospers, you'll prosper. And until the blessing comes, until you're able to have the promise fulfilled, wherever you're at, do the best you can with all that you have to bring the glory of God through. I love that. I mean, usually when we're in a dark place, usually when we're when we're at wits' end and we're wondering, we just want to give up. We want, well, God, until you do something, I'm not doing anything, or I'm go find something else. He says, dig in. you you can make a difference. In fact, what happens as they start to do this very thing? Babylon, which is such an evil place, is so influenced by the believers there. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, actually is transformed and he starts to lift up the God of, of Israel, replacing him, replacing all the false gods with this God of Israel because they did exactly what they were told to do. Mountain Park, you're in a transition. Some of you would describe it as dark. Some of you would describe it at least as confusing, uncertain easily. Timing is different. God's timing and your timing and your agenda. and his, I, I, can't, I, don't, I just can't explain. I don't know. I don't know that stuff. I don't know what his timing is. I do know the promises. Well, I do know who knows the promises for you. I do know the God that says, no matter what you're going through, this has not sunk my ship. I I still have a future and a hope and a tomorrow for you. Well, what do we do in the in-between time? You build. You plant. You multiply. You serve. You pray. You seek the peace. You do everything you can possibly do to make this place the best place possible. While you're waiting for the blessing, be a blessing. While you're waiting for the promise, do what you can do to prepare through blessing the place. Because there's gonna come a time when you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, God had this, God knew what he was doing. This is awesome. And as this place prospers, you will prosper, and you will be more prepared for the blessing that comes as you are a blessing. In uncertain times, you can learn lessons as a church. You'll never learn at any other time. In uncertain times, you are needed here to plant, to build, to multiply, to invite, to pray, to seek the peace, to prosper. Then he just says something you maybe never heard before in verse 11. He says, I know the plans, declares the Lord for you. I know the plans I have for you. And he follows in verse 12 with this. After it's a hope, it's a future. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It gives him a little clue of what this, what this plan is all about. He has it. He knows it. He knows what the future is. If you will call upon me and come pray to me, I will listen to you. Look at all the, the me's here. Call upon me. Pray to me. You will seek me, verse 13 says, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have a tendency to read that and to think, I will seek the solution and find the solution when I seek the solution with all my heart. I'm going to go after the plan, I will seek the plan, I will diligently look for the plan with all my heart. God says, no, no, you're not to seek the plan. I know what it is. You're to seek the person. That makes all the difference. The plan's okay. It's in my heart. You'll know it as you know me. Seek it with all your heart. He says, I don't, want, I don't want casual seekers. I don't want people that are kind of half in and half out. I don't want half-time Christians looking for a full-time God. Seek me with all your heart and you'll find me. Call on me, I'll answer and then I'm gonna bring you back, verse 14 says. I'm gonna take you back when that all happens. We just want to skip over that process and take me back right now. Take us back. Give us the plan. Give us the promise. Get us out of here. And that's just who we are as people. A number of years ago, I went on on a spiritual retreat with a a friend of mine, one of the leaders in our church, and we went, there's a hermitage uh, up almost to Black Canyon City off of I-17. It's a Catholic-owned place, and you can go and, I don't know if it's still, I think it's still there, but you can stay for free and, uh, I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I look for those kind of things, and, and, um, and we went, and we, we spent a couple days there, and what I didn't know going into it is one of the, it, it, was, a, it was a hermitage of solitude, which means you can't talk, can't, can't talk, which I'm like, okay, this is different, and so we went to our different little, little cabins that we had, and you go in there, and they said you can't talk, but there's a little list of what to do, and the first one was lay down and take a nap. I got that down and it was wonderful it was quiet, just took a nap and I started reading through the, they had scriptures that directed you and, and, uh, and then it was like don't talk, which was fine for the morning and then um, in the afternoon don't talk and then the night don't talk and it's like I'm, I'm looking around and making sure none of the nuns are watching me, and I go, hey! You know, <laughs> was kind of expecting them to just come up and slap my hand or something, they, and they didn't. And uh, the next morning they said, we have communion. If you, You're welcome to come if you want to take communion. And so I did, my friend and I did. They said, the priest isn't here. I, I'm not familiar with the Catholic Church, but the nuns could only serve the bread. They couldn't serve the cup, And but one of the one of the the nuns got up and, and gave a devotion and i I'm, I'm not expecting much but i just want to tell you she knocked my socks off with her devotion i had tears coming down my my cheeks i couldn't believe what i was hearing and she just centered on the on the the presence of jesus on the cross And she said, you know, usually when we take communion, we we, we talk about what what he's done for us. And and we recognize his suffering and we we want to worship him. But But she goes, do you know this? That all that suffering was because he was entering into your suffering? He was meeting you at your point of need that nothing you're going through Nothing of the pain, the confusion, the heartache. Nothing is, is unknown to him. He's not off in a distance somewhere. He enters that suffering. He enters with you. And on the cross, he meets you at the point of your deepest pain. And your great brokenness. And the things I was going through, I just start crying. And afterwards, I just sat there, and tears in my eye, and she came up and started talking to me and introduced herself. I said, I'm a pastor. And um, I said, I don't usually cry, but I was touched this morning. I, I was just like, I've, I've never heard, and I, I can't even do justice to what, how she, she described the whole thing, and, and she goes, where are you a pastor at? And I told her, and you're Protestant. I said, yeah. She said, oh, 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 you Protestants. Whenever you talk about Easter and the crucifixion, you want to jump right to the resurrection. You want to just get right in the resurrection. He's on the cross. He'd suffered a little bit for it. Let's talk about the resurrection. She said, you're missing so much. There's so much to be learned in the crucifixion. There's so much to learn when you recognize his humiliation in his suffering, and his pain. Dawn, she said, I pray you'll just camp out for a while at the crucifixion. Wow. I went back and didn't want to talk. I just wanted the crucified Lord to reveal himself to me. And he did, and he does. Because nobody was more exiled than him. Nobody was more humiliated than him. No one took a a bigger drop in status. Not Israel going to Babylon. Not in the darkness and the confusion. And on the cross to the point where he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I going through this? What's going on? And he, he at that place, I, I, can't, I can't meet Jesus in a lot of places. I can meet him right there. More so he meets me right there. And when you look at the deliverance, when you look at the promise, all of a sudden you start to realize that God's saying, I am both. I am your redeemer. And I am your treasure. I am the one that will get you out of exile. And I am the promise that comes when you're out. We read this scripture and we put financial goals on it. We put health goals on it. We put blessings. and You want to know the vision? You want to know the plan? You want to know the purpose? You want to know the future? It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Israel, hang on because the Savior's coming. Mountain Park, hang on. The Savior's here. and when All of a sudden you realize your Redeemer and your treasure is one and the same person. It revolutionizes your life because whatever that future looks like, it looks like Jesus in you, with you, for you, not to hurt you, not to harm you, not to give you calamity, but to give you purpose and a tomorrow and hope. We're gonna sing a song here. The worship team is gonna come out. Hopefully, you've received a communion cup and some bread, just up on top of that cup. And as they sing. Just hold on to this for a minute and we'll take a break in the middle of the song. But the song is basically about giving our life to him. Let's, let's do that. that. And that surrender. That's, that's turning our eyes to Jesus. That's, that's giving him number one place in our life. And in doing so, let his presence just fill your heart. If you're in a dark spot, if you're in, if you're in a confused state, if you're if you're feeling the pain of whatever life might bring, Jesus will meet you right there. He doesn't ask you to come up to his point. He meets you right there in your brokenness, in your exile. Let's sing. Let me stand together as we sing this song.